Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin. Today we're looking at the IMF's stark warning about the substantial costs to the UK economy if it leaves the EU without a deal. Shona Jenkins discusses the warning and how serious the risk of a no-deal exit is with Chris Giles, our economics editor, and James Blitz, our Whitehall editor. Let me be clear. Compared with today's smooth single market, all the likely Brexit scenarios will have costs for the UK economy and to a lesser extent as well for the EU. The larger the impediments to trade in the new relationship, the costlier it will be. That was IMF Managing Director Christine Lagarde. Chris, can you tell us more about the IMF assessment of the UK economy and the impact of Brexit so far? What were the main points that she raised? Well, I think there were two main points that Christine Lagarde raised. The IMF come to Britain about once a year and do an assessment of the economy. They do it for all of their members, all 190-odd members of the IMF once a year. And it can often be quite a challenging time for the government. But this time, it was very much along the lines of what the Treasury think. So the one point was rammed home again and again, not just by Christine Lagarde, but also by Philip Hammond, the Chancellor, which was that a no-deal Brexit is the worst possible outcome daunting, challenging, substantial costs. These are all the sorts of words that Mr. Gard was talking about. And then the second point, which I think was interesting, was also that the IMF were clear that Brexit has already damaged the UK economy. Its performance has gone from the top of the G7 league table to near the bottom. And that there is no deal that can be done on Brexit that would be better than staying in the EU. So the IMF were again very clear and wanted to spell that out without any equivocation. So it was quite a stark message that on economic grounds, the IMF haven't changed their mind at all. They think Brexit is a bad idea. You mentioned that Christine Lagarde talked about the effect that Brexit has already had on the UK economy. Could you just elaborate on that a little bit? Yes, certainly. You can't ever be entirely sure because what you're trying to do is rerun history had the vote not happened. But there's quite a lot of clues you can stitch together to get a pretty good picture. So if you look at forecasts made before the referendum on the basis of Remain winning, the outturn and current forecasts are down per year about three quarters of a percentage point. That means about three quarters of a percent of GDP, so about £15 billion of growth every year. Uh, And that accumulates over time. And that's roughly where the IMF forecasts are compared with the ones it produced in spring 2016, for example. And just to put that in monetary terms, by the end of 2020, the IMF forecasts are about 2.5% down compared with that. And that's about 50 billion quid. And then if you think 50 billion quid of economy would generate about 20 billion quid of tax revenue, that would be enough to pay for the NHS increase per year. And that's foregone. So that will be coming out of our pockets rather than through the growth of the economy. That's just looking at forecasts. If you go another way and just say, how has Britain been doing compared with other similar countries? Again, our performance has gone from being very good compared with the G7 and the EU to being pretty mediocre or poor. And again, that suggests that Brexit has had an impact. And you can pull together lots of different ways of doing this. And in the end, nearly all of them come to the view that we are now in late 2018 
about 1% to 2% lower than we otherwise would have been. You can't ever be completely certain about these things. So about, let's just say this is 1.5%, that'd be about 30 billion quid of activity is not happening, which otherwise probably would have happened. And that means that pretty much whatever the Brexit dividend we get from not paying into the EU, we've lost more tax revenues from lower growth already, and that says nothing about the deals to come. Most of that initial loss came from the depreciation of sterling, which hit people in their pockets, and not from lower investment or trade impediments yet. And that's the thing that's to come after we have Brexit itself. As you said, Philip Hammond was also at the briefing. What did he say? He said that the Treasury and the government welcomes the IMF, doesn't always agree with everything that the IMF has to say about the UK economy, but takes anything they say seriously. And then he reiterated that he thought no deal was a very bad outcome for the UK. It's very different from the Prime Minister's language. Theresa May likes to talk about it not being the end of the world. Philip Hammond pretty much made it sound like the end of the world. He said that potentially all the gains that Britain has made in recovering from the financial crisis over the last 10 years would be lost. That was his sentiment. That's pretty stark thing to say. Were there any particular areas of the economy that Christine Lagarde singled out as either having been affected already or that would be the most sort of catastrophically affected? Well, she singled out for the no deal case day to day issues about essentially travelling around. So airlines, would we be able to fly? The answer is no, unless there were side deals done. Would you be able to drive around the country? Would there be huge queues of lorries backing up the main motorways? So she was trying to put it in very much in layman's terms. But what would you notice in a no-deal scenario? And it was very much travelling around, being able to get on with your normal daily life. That's what she was trying to highlight, why no-deal could be so difficult, not just in sort of numbers that it would hit the economy quite hard, but actually in people's daily lives might be severely disrupted. Does the Chancellor always get so involved in the IMF visit or is this quite an unusual occurrence this year? It's pretty normal for Philip Hammond to be quite involved and to introduce the IMF. Actually, George Osborne used to do pretty much the same thing and so did Alistair Darling sometimes. But going back a bit further to Gordon Brown and before that, it's quite unusual. In fact, what used to happen in Gordon Brown's days, especially if the IMF was going to be a little bit critical, was that these reports would be released at five o'clock on a Friday afternoon, slipped out, and then we'd all be scrabbling around trying to work out how to report them and there'd be no press conference and it would just be a little press release coming out of the Treasury at a very unhelpful time. More recently, there has been an event put into the diaries at least a week or so ahead. So this has now become quite a usual thing for the managing director of the IMF to come over to the UK to present the report. So Philip Hammond is not doing anything particularly unusual for him or for George Osborne or even for Alistair Darling. But in the long scheme of things, this is a new way of presenting it. And I think it does give a little bit more credibility to the report that the government accepts that an outside body is coming essentially to audit it and they spend two weeks in the Treasury and going around the country talking to people about how the government is doing and then they have a report and they're quite willing to be critical. The Treasury does get a chance before it's published to say, no, actually, that's nonsense. And there is a bit of negotiation. There is some toing and froing. So it doesn't come as a surprise to Philip Hammond what comes out. And he was clearly quite pleased that the no deal aspect of Brexit was pretty front and centre of this because it's something he's been fighting for as well within government. Turning to you, James, who 
was this warning intended for? Was it for the UK government or its EU negotiating partners? Well, I think it would be wrong to say this was intended for anybody particularly. I think the IMF produces its honest assessment of what it deems to be the situation. The impact it will have, I think, is that it's very welcome for Theresa May and her side of the argument, because what is happening is that Theresa May is in the final stages of the Brexit negotiation. She will almost certainly do a deal with the European Union and bring something back to London. But I think it's always been assumed that although that deal will happen, she faces a real danger when she comes to the House of Commons, where she has a very small working majority. The argument that she will want to make to MPs is, you've got to accept my deal, or it's no deal. It's an absolutely binary choice. And I think by having a report from the IMF that really highlights the risks of no deal to the UK economy, it helps her in making the argument that it's either my way of doing it, or it's something pretty catastrophic. And I think that is the argument she will probably want to develop in the period between now and late November when she confronts these issues. How high a risk do you think there is that the UK could leave the EU without a deal? And how much do you think that risk is increasing? Well, there's certainly a risk. I mean, there are two ways in which it could happen. Either Mrs May will fail to come to an agreement with the Europeans. That might particularly be over the question of Northern Ireland, where there are still a lot of thorny issues to be resolved. But I think most people would be surprised if that's how it happens. The Europeans seem determined to try and come to an agreement. The much bigger threat, as I say, is what happens in the Commons. And there, on the one hand, you've got the arch-Brexiters around Jacob Rees-Mogg and others who are very much against the Chequers approach, which she has set out, which would leave the UK and the single market for good. So she's under threat from that wing. There are pro-Europeans in her party who feel that effectively what she'll be doing is signing a kind of blank check because it may well be that the trade framework is really rather thinly sketched out. And so there's everything left to be decided after we leave. So they might be concerned. And Labour is almost certainly going to oppose what she comes back with come what may. So there is a real risk there. And as I say, if she gets this through the House of Commons in late November, it will be because the risk of a total catastrophe if we leave without a deal has been really enough to swing around lots and lots of MPs. Of course, the one factor we haven't brought into this discussion is whether anybody will articulate in greater detail what would happen if she loses that vote and we actually went not to a no-deal scenario but towards the possibility of a second Brexit referendum. Now, at present, there are a number of people who have raised that as a possibility, and the Labour Party, Labour moderate, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, raised it over the weekend. Andy Burnham, the mayor of Manchester, has put himself behind it. But it's really important to see now whether Jeremy Corbyn, the Labour leader, will in any way move towards that at next week's Labour conference, because if he were to do that, not many people expect he will, but if he were to do it, it would raise the possibility of a second referendum being the way forward if Mrs May were to lose, rather than the no-deal scenario. That was Shona Jenkins talking to Chris Giles and James Blitz. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more news tomorrow, but in the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, take a look at our latest subscription offers at ft.com slash offer. 
The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 